So there is a historical precedent for sermons to be just one word long. Don't get your hopes up. I won't be following precedent. But we do see this occasionally. Matthew chapter 3, the suggestion is that all John the Baptist was saying was repent. And in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches the first sermon, it says he, he called on them to repent. No suggestion that there was a whole lot else besides that. And then in uh, Acts chapter 3, the second sermon that he preaches is essentially the same thing. It's called to repent. So this topic apparently is significant enough that it gets uh, very focused and singular attention. So we're starting a new series, and it is predicated on three ideas. Number one, that we uh, can get better. Okay, we, we, we can't change our heart. We can't fix what most deeply ails us, but we can become more Christ-like. We can, we can come to embody and reflect the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control that uh, is the fruit of the Spirit. We can move in that direction. Number two, we want to get better. Maybe you don't. I do. I would love to be better. I would love to stop being so selfish. I would love to stop being a jerk. I would love to stop hurting the people that I care about the most. I'd like to be a better person, a better father, a better husband, a better friend. I want to get better. So we can't get better. I want to get better. The third thing to know is that there are things we can do that lead us in the right direction. And one of them is to repent or to confess. So these words are sort of uh, related. Uh, repentance is a Greek word, metanoia, means specifically it means to turn around. So there's a sense in which we wake up to some observation, some insight, some awareness of God working in our hearts, some way that we failed, some way that we're headed down the wrong path. We sort of have some insight. Oh, well, that shouldn't happen. So there's a, there's a waking up and then there's a turning around and then there is uh, a call for us to own it. To confess it. To confess means to agree. And so we're agreeing with God, we're agreeing with the truth, we're perhaps agreeing with someone else that we have messed up. And this idea of confession is very significant and it is part of the path forward. And I want to suggest to you this morning that confession plays out in one of three ways and one of them is right for you. So the first way that we confess is we confess uh, at, at a time of coming to faith. So there's a confession that I'm in. There is an awareness that there is a God. He is better than I am. He's holy. I have a problem. I am broken. I have got pride or lust or anger or greed. Or I, I'm broken so that, that has created a gap, and I need help bridging the gap. I don't want to own my moral debt. I need a, a savior. I need to rescue. I need help. And so we confess, I'm broken, and I'm looking for help. And we put our faith down on Christ, in Christ. So there's a, a confession that leads us into the family of God. We, we get adopted into the family of God. There's, this, there's a, a one-time confession to faith. And so in 1 John, a passage that was part of, um, uh, part of what the worship team read, it was part of the transition video, if we confess 
our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and impurity. And please know what we're saying here. We're not saying that if we confess, God is merciful. It's what many people think they're confessing. But no, we're saying if we confess, God is just. Now, you know, in case you haven't thought this through, if you're guilty, you do not want justice. So if you're speeding and the officer pulls you over, you don't want justice. Justice is a ticket and a fine. You want mercy. You want want a pass. Right? You do not want to be held accountable for your mistakes. So we might think we're saying if we confess our sins, God will be merciful and he won't hold us accountable to our sins. But what it says is if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. And the reason that it's just is because if we confess our sins, then in this grand exchange, this big metaphor, uh, metaphysical transfer, our sin goes to Christ. He pays for it. His righteousness comes to us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 talks about the great exchange. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. So when we confess, our sin goes to Christ He pays for it. Consequently, since it's been paid for, it would be unjust of God to expect us to pay it again. That bill has been paid. So uh, this is the way the gospel works. And many of you don't get it. It's not common sense. It's quite something altogether different than that. So I've been, uh, in my devotional reading, uh, I've been in the book of Galatians, one of the letters that Paul wrote. And uh, Paul wrote a bunch of letters, First and Second Corinthians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, he wrote uh, Thessalonians, he wrote to Timothy, he wrote Romans, he wrote a bunch of letters, and most of the letters have a very standard opening. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to whoever, uh, grace and peace to you. And then after that sort of, which is just like saying dear so-and-so or to whoever, it's just very standard first century protocol. After that, Paul almost always says something about how he's thankful for them or he's praying for them. In Galatians, he goes in a very different direction. In Galatians, he essentially says, you guys make me sick. I'm so mad, I am coming your way, and you better not be there, right? I am, I am going to smack you down. You, I can't believe what you've done. You've traded in the gospel already. You exchanged it for another gospel that's no gospel at all. And, and as you read through the book of Galatians, what you figure out is that, that there, there were people in this, in this province who said, if you want to be right with God, you want to be reconciled to God, you want a relationship with God, you want eternal life, you want heaven, if you want a relationship with God, then they said, you need to put your faith in Jesus. And then in their situation, they said, you've got to keep the, the ceremonial law. There was circumcision and food and some other things. And... Anytime you add and, in order to be right with God, you need to put your faith in Jesus and, and anything else you add to that, you're in trouble. 
and, and not a small amount of trouble. So the, the Galatians had good intentions. But good intentions and a corrupted gospel, Paul's furious. In contrast, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul, who's writing from prison, says, as some of you may know, there are people who are preaching the gospel out of envy and strife, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. So Paul's in prison, and he says, there's some people out there that are preaching the gospel, <laughs> and they think that because I'm in prison and I can't be part of this, that somehow they're getting ahead of me or that, you know, I'm going to feel bad, like I want to be out there, uh, they're, they're growing their church, I'm not, so Paul's going to feel bad. He says, you know, what's my response? I'm thrilled, whatever their motivation, in pretense or in truth, I'm excited that they got the message out. So bad motives, right gospel, Paul's happy. Good motives, bad gospel, Paul's furious. There is a gospel. There is a message. There is, a, there is an offer that God has made. And it's a specific thing. And it is not that we need to be good so God will love us. Some of you are trying to be good, believing that if you are good, whatever that means, God will love you more. Stop it. That is not the gospel. It doesn't work that way. You cannot do anything that is going to lead God to love you more. God loves not because of who we are. He loves in spite of who we are. <laughs> while we were yet sinners, while he could expect nothing from us but active rebellion and hatred, he loved us. This is God's the hero in this story. We're not good enough to merit his attention. God is amazing. And the offer is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Put your faith in Christ. Rest in the work of Christ. Right, that's the way forward. So some of you don't get this. Some of you haven't got this. We had Luis Palau here last week, big evangelist. He's led tens of millions of people to confess their faith in Christ. Some of you still are not certain you got it. So I want to say, if you, know, if you don't know, right, talk to somebody. Sign up for a spiritual check-in. Sign up for Alpha. Right, this is a big deal. There is a confession that is a confession that leads to faith in Christ. And if you don't have that, that's, that's where you go first. Secondly, there's another way confession gets used. And this refers to sort of the breakthrough moments that we have where we finally sort of step up and own something. And uh, we, we confess. Uh, now, it tends to be a big deal because we often let things build up, and we shouldn't. And uh, then we reach some sort of inflection point. And when we get to an inflection point where we're feeling guilty, we're getting caught, things are sort of coming to a head, and when that happens, then one of two things is going gonna, is gonna to happen. One is our heart is going to grow hard, and we're going to move on. We're going to suppress it, and we're going we're gonna to grow another callus on our heart, and it's going to be harder for us to ever hear the voice of God. Or we're going to agree, we're going to confess, we're going to own it, Right, and we're going to have sort of one of these breakthrough moments where we go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I, I've, I've, 
I, I was under incredible angst and conviction. And now I'm sort of free of that because I raised my hand and said, I'm, I'm, no, I'm guilty of that. So on several occasions I've talked about, you know, sort of times that I've had to confess. Uh, most of them have been sort of jokes um, or, or light and easy. I confess that there's an article out there that has my name on it that says you've got to do your own work, uh, that, that preachers shouldn't plagiarize other people. And so I wrote this article about pastors need to do their own work. <clears throat> and I submitted it to the, um, to the magazine, and they changed it almost entirely. And, uh, but they kept my name on it. And so there's this article out there that says do your own work, and it says I did it and I didn't do it. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel right. Who do I confess this to? I called the editor and yelled at him, and, but, you know, okay, well, that, that's safe. I also confessed a while ago that uh, I cheated on a Greek exam in seminary. In seminary, right. Like, who cheats in seminary? But we have a quiz every day in Greek, and it's, you know, five minutes long, and you go in, and you, it, it's handed out, and there's like 15, 20 people in the class. And I go in, and there's talk going on and, and banter, and, and I look over at this guy, and he's taking the quiz, and I look, you know, sort of before I really even know what I'm doing, and I always maintained if I was going to cheat, I was not cheating off of Mike Quinnell. He's not whose paper I would have copied, but I looked down, I saw all kinds of answers, and I'm like, wait, I shouldn't be doing that. And I justified it, you know what, it was Quinnell's paper. I, I studied it, I knew these things. So I... I, I turned in my quiz and, and, uh, and said, you know what, I would have got those right anyway. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Well, over the course of the day, I just got more and more miserable until finally I had to go find the professor, call him at home and say, I, got, I, I cheated on this quiz. I, I don't know what you do. You kick me out of school, whatever, I don't care. I am coming clean. I cheated on this quiz. And what I found was grace, right? He said to me, Mike, Here's your quiz back. Give yourself whatever grade you want. Uh, you know, I, I believe you. Do whatever you want. I marked all the ones that I thought I'd gotten from him wrong. Turned it back in. There have been other times when, when um, I remember the first time I sort of understood the cleansing power and joy that comes on the other side of, of confession. Six or seven had gone to a store with a neighbor kid who was a few years older and we stole some gum, and we got away with it. So we went back to get more and uh, got caught, and uh, the, the store manager threatened to call the police, and we were going to go to jail, and, you know, and, and I was just sick. And the, the older kid said, do not tell your parents about this, right? Uh, now, the manager said he was coming to our house. He was going to talk to our parents, but he says, he's not coming to our house. Do not tell our parents. And I'm, and later that night, finally, I just break down and in sobbing convulsions, I'm saying to my parents, I stole stuff, the police are coming, I'm in trouble, yeah. And I remember I thought I was going to get in so much trouble. And my, my mom's response, my parents' response was to say, okay, stealing is not, not ever okay. And what you did was wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad you told us. And we love you, and this is going to be okay, and we're going to work this out, right? And there was this incredible relief on the other side that came. 
And, uh, you know, since then, I mean, you know, there have been at least 20 times in our marriage where I've had to go to Sherry and say, okay, look, I misled you, or this wasn't exactly the way I've led you to think it was, or I sinned, or you need to know about this, and, uh, and, and to others as well, to say, you know what, this is, I, I got I to call, call a file here on myself. What, what, what you think is happening isn't what's happening. And almost every time, it's easy to work through those things, and I have been treated with love and, and grace. Not always, but uh, it sort of doesn't matter, right? And when you're under conviction, you're like, I, I sort of don't care. Like, do the worst to me. I'm, I'm gonna, I am going to own this because I can't not head down that path. In the book of Psalms, we are treated to the prayer of someone who is confessing to a big sin. The, the account actually is developed in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And it's David. So he's the king. And uh, the troops are at war. And he is expected uh, to be at war, but he's not. And so one night he goes out and he's on the ledge and he looks down and beneath him in some condo further down the hill he sees a woman. And whether the first look was innocent or not, the second one was not. It's Bathsheba and he calls for her. And she comes uh, because he's the king. And uh, he sleeps with her. And then she becomes pregnant, and so he's got to engage in a cover-up, and so there's lies and, and more intrigue, and, and then eventually he can't cover it up, and so he's got to have her husband killed so that he, he can go with a, an extreme cover-up, and he marries her, and he thinks he's gotten away with it. And then something amazing happens. It's not at all amazing that... Uh, adultery happened. It's not all amazing that a king calls for a woman that's not his wife. It's not at all amazing that he tries to cover it up. It's not all, ama- not all that amazing that he has somebody killed in order to cover it up. These things happen. What's amazing is, first of all, that when Nathan the prophet goes and confronts him, he agrees. As opposed to trying to deny it, as opposed to having Nathan killed, as opposed to saying... This was just a private indiscretion and my family needs time or whatever, he, whatever we would say today. As opposed to any of that, he says, you're right. And then he writes out this confession and he publishes it. Right? And it goes in this prayer book of the Jews and they leave it in there. Right? Here's our hero, David. The king, the founder, the, the warrior, the, the greatest guy we got. And here he is sniveling and crying and confessing that he's a wretched sinner, a murderer, and an adulterer. They leave it in the book. Right? That's amazing. And we can learn from that. First of all, we learn that the right word is sin. As politically incorrect as that is, David doesn't say mistakes were made. He doesn't say, he doesn't try and explain it. He uses three different Hebrew words, and these words, one of them means uh, rebellion against God. One of them means uh, wickedness, right? He says, he's not, he's not justifying, he's not rationalizing, he's not saying my parents, he's not saying whatever. He's saying, I own this. I did it. It was wrong. I did it. I'm guilty. 
I am guilty, I sinned. He owns it. Secondly, this passage shows us that one sin leads to the next, which leads to the next, and these things cascade. Uh, but thirdly, he shows us the way out of this is to confess. Right. So he calls it sin, and then he confesses. So some of you need to confess something. I don't know what. But if you're sick about this, then you know what. If you go, oh boy, here we go. I know, I don't even want to think about this. I've tried to compartmentalize this. I've tried to box this up. I've tried to justify this. I've tried to close this chapter of my life. I've tried to do whatever. But you don't feel like it's closed business. Then I would suggest you've got a confession to make. So what does that look like? Um, well, that's complicated. It depends on a number of things. Uh, let me say that, that uh, for some it's quite easy and obvious. You've got to go to somebody and you've got to say, I lied, I did this, I did whatever, I, and I'm, I'm guilty and I'm sorry, I'm sorry and I'm asking for your forgiveness. For some of you, there will be restitution involved. You're going to have to pay a fine. You're going to have to do whatever. Uh, some of you will say, I did this a while ago, and I don't even know where this person is anymore. Right? I've had people come to me and say, I sinned against so-and-so, and they died three weeks ago, and I haven't slept really since then. Now I've lost my chance to go uh, make this right. What do I do? And I, in, that, in those couple cases, I've, I've said, well, um, why don't you write them a letter? I, you know, let's, let's treat this, write the confession, and we'll make it sort of a confession before God and a prayer, and, and you know, we're going to, um, you're going to confess. Sometimes you can confess this to me, and, and I'm going to remind you of the grace of God. And in some cases, the, you, have, you have sinned, and when you go to confess this, it's going to cause a lot of grief and pain for somebody else. So let me just go on record here in saying, if you have committed adultery, do not go home this afternoon and confess as much to your spouse. Some of these things are going to require other people to help figure this out. And how is this going to be done? I'm not saying that you won't need to make that confession. Uh, I think you probably do. But in certain situations, I might say no. But I'm going to say this. We got to think these things through, and it's going to sometimes take other people to be involved. Some of this can get complicated. Um, so I've had people come in and confess to me, um, you know, I, I, I've embezzled funds, or I, I, I've, uh, I've committed adultery, or in one case I, I killed somebody. I did these things. What do I do now? And some of this just takes a while to figure out and to process. But here's what I want to say. You can have a clean heart before God. <laughs> you can say, to the extent that I understand what I've done, I've sort of owned all this. And when people have come to me and said, you, do, you did that, my response has become not to try and deny or bluster or any of that. My response is to say, oh, I did, and, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, and I'm guilty. Please forgive me. And the truth is, that's not half of it. Right? I'm, I'm worse than that. 
Billy Graham, when he was speaking at Harvard a number of years ago, uh, there was a Q&A right after he spoke. It was at Harvard Law School, and a bunch of hands went up, and one of the first people to speak said, uh, Dr. Graham, you used to hold segregated revivals in the South. How could you do that? And uh, that was so wrong, and, I, and it's just unthinkable. And, and Dr. Graham said, you know what? You are absolutely right, and it was inexcusable, and I should not have done it, and I apologize to you that I did it, and here's the truth. I did worse than that, and I don't want you to think that I'm some saint. That's not my message. My message is not that I've nailed this. My message is that I'm guilty, and when we confess, we can be forgiven. So, some of you have got business to do, and um, you need to do it. And I want to say, you can have a, a, a clean heart. And it's an amazing feeling, right, to confess your uh, sins to somebody and to be forgiven. And uh, to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not hiding something. We're generally only as healthy as our sickest secret. And, and you can sort of move past that. And I'm not suggesting that you got to say everything to everybody. The tell-alls, no, that's not it. I mean, generally, the, the confession is sort of focused on the people that are affected. And, uh, and in those cases where you can't really do that, sometimes I think it, it's, it's very wise to have uh, a good friend that you can go and confess to. And, and on numerous occasions where I've been in sort of that situation, I've gone to somebody and I say, you need to hear this. I don't know who else to tell. This is what's happened. And to hear them say, okay, the grace of God is bigger than that, right? And to realize, okay, you now know the worst about me. You know the worst about me. And to hear I'm still loved <laughs> because the grace of God has been extended. That is an incredible gift. So some of you need a confession that leads to faith. Some of you need a confession that, that sort of goes to this stuff that you have tried to bury, and then if neither of those two apply, then the third one is sort of a posture of humility and confession. And, and we are encouraged uh, in Scripture. We are encouraged in the Lord's Prayer. We are encouraged in the Psalms. We're encouraged in other ways to just on an ongoing basis to sort of come before God and, and to say, I'm confessing my sins. Forgive, me, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I'm, I'm in the Psalms. Forgive me, and, and as I reflect on my sins, right, and, and to just say, Spirit of God, shine light in dark places. Help me see what I'm holding on to, what I haven't even seen myself yet, my own pride or greed or lust or anger or whatever it is. Help me see myself a little bit more clearly. And, and the, the, what we see in Scripture is the, the, the times that we draw close to God. We see this with Abraham in Genesis 18. We see this with Job in Job 42. We see this with Isaiah in Isaiah 6. We see this with Peter in Luke 5. We see this in other places. When people come into the presence of God, the response initially is to say, Woe is me! I am undone! Because I have now seen a holy God and I'm not holy. And I realize how broken I am. And then we, we, we lean into the grace and mercy of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so there just needs to be a, a posture of this. And my experience is that there are times when, when in that kind of reflection, Spirit of God bring to mind things that I've done wrong, uh, something comes to mind and you're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. 
Like, that was 10 years ago. Really? I got to go back on that one? That was 10 years ago. Uh, statute of limitations. It's gone. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going there. And then to realize, no, okay, you know what? I got to call somebody up and sit down and say, hey, this is me processing stuff. I, I need you to know this happened. I was wrong. I, I misled you. I am, I am here to ask for your forgiveness. And I have people do that with me all the time. And, I, and it, it's great to be able to say the grace of God. You are forgiven. And the grace of God is greater than that. And you can be free from that. So we need to confess. I want to, um, I want to take you to Psalm 32 and, and just frame this. And then we're, I'm going to invite you to join with me as we have a corporate time of confession out of Psalm 51. But I want to read uh, the first five verses of Psalm 32 because this, this captures everything I've been trying to say. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, okay, when I didn't confess, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped like the heat of summer, right? When I didn't confess and I was trying to deny and push it down, and right, I, I came under conviction and my bones were weary and I groaned and I was, I was despondent. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. <laughs> God is bigger than our sin. God is bigger than your sin. There is a way forward, and it comes by agreeing that what we've done is wrong and, and moving forward from there.